This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Today on the pod, child care savings kicked in on December 1st, but why aren't all BC parents receiving benefits? Plus, as China continues its influence campaign, how long before Canada creates a foreign agent registry? And should businesses charge shipping and handling for online sales? And later, our Friday wrap panel discusses our handling of Tuesday night's Snowmageddon. That's all next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Today, the federal and B.C. governments build Ottawa's new child care affordability plan as a financial boon for thousands of parents in B.C. Now, in November of last year, B.C. was the first province to sign on, uh, sign an agreement uh, for Canada's federal child care plan. Now, the federal government agreement uh, is aiming to help provinces reduce child care fees by an average of 50% by the end of 2022 and reach the goal of $10 a day by 2026. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Premier David Eby made the announcement today in Richmond. As of yesterday, BC has met its joint goal with the federal government to reduce average child care fees by half. This is good news for families who are now saving up to an additional six thousand six hundred dollars per year. Child care is one of the most expensive bills facing many families, especially those just getting started in life. That's if uh, you could find a space. That was uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Premier David Eby. About 2,450 more childcare spaces moved into the $10 a day childcare uh, BC program yesterday. Now, it's important to note parents whose children are in unlicensed daycares or preschools and daycares that opt out of the fee reduction program will get no savings at all. Joining me now to talk about uh, this program and still some of the uneven rollout uh, is Emily Golick. She's the Executive Director for the Early Childhood Educators of BC. Emily, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is an incredibly important um, issue, and I, I, I hear it from parents. I even hear it from parents in this office, uh, mm-hmm. and it's, I know it's very tough. Your thoughts overall on, on this announcement uh, on December 1st and the rollout so far, and where the challenges are in your mind? Well, I, well, really good question. So, like, definitely this is a historic announcement. It's another move forward to ensuring that we have 10-a-day child care here in British Columbia. It's, uh, it's good news for children. It's good news for their families. And it's also good news for early childhood educators that work directly with those children and families when you can take away the the financial piece of the relationship that you have with families, it opens up the doors to have deeper relationships with the complex nature of the work that they do. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned about, you know, what, you know, what, what else is it? What are, what are other complexities within this system? And one of the biggest things that we're seeing right now is the need for more educated early childhood educators mm-hmm. To come into the sector and then also stay within the sector. So what can government do to look at that recruitment and also the retention? And so our organization is calling on for a provincial wage grid that will really help solidify the important role that educators take. It will be based on 
education and their experience. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, to my understanding, more spaces will be added over the next few weeks, uh, expanding to, I think, 6,500 in April and, uh, uh, sorry, 12,500 by February of 2023, which is good news. But in regards Mm -hmm. to those parents that may not be in the government child care program, this has got to be incredibly frustrating. You're still paying a significant amount of dollars. Yeah, I I imagine it would be um, really heartbreaking when they're hearing all their friends that are being able to access that. So we know for all the licensed childcare programs, I think about 96% of them have opted in to the Childcare BC. And so I think this is where families and parents have a voice and they should be going to their childcare programs and say, hey, this is something we want too. And, And, you know, you have this opportunity to get operational funds and then in turn, we'll be able to have our child care fees reduced as well. Why do you think there is this diversion, this uneven, uh, uneven nature of, uh, of daycare uh, being provided? I mean, nobody's against $10 daycare. I think, uh, you know, if your studies out of Quebec have shown that uh, when you have uh, kids in daycare, proper daycare, uh, moms and dads are working, it actually adds to the GDP of the economy. And the program, over the long term, pays for itself. Uh, but it is uneven. Uh, you know, I've heard stories of, of, of uh, one uh, set of parents receiving $1,200 a month because of this mm-hmm. already. That's fabulous. But then when you read in the paper that uh, other families are still poised to pay $700 a month uh, and their fees are remaining unchanged, whether you have one or two or three kids, and it's different. What needs to happen in regards to making it fair for all those parents as well? Well, yeah, you've really done your homework on this on on understanding like what the what you know what the benefits are to having this system in place that all families like how we have other public systems already in place like a school system. Nobody looks at you know how much does mom and dad make to find a spot for your child that's in grade three, but we do this for younger and younger children. So moving into the system, and we're we are strongly encouraging government to get all programs as soon as they can into this 10 a day model so families would never pay more than ten dollars a day and and then and then maybe for some would actually be free depending on their income so but it will be but what what well, what needs to happen is we need to have the buy-in from all the child care providers, all the owners and operators out there to see, like, okay, I'm going to be able to run my program. You know, government's done their work um, to really look at what does it actually cost to operate this, this program. So we're moving away from a market-based system, which is really difficult for, for people that have really um, embedded their life into developing these childcare programs mm-hmm. for for themselves, and and we don't want to see them gone at all. We want to see them come in. So, I think government needs to work really strongly with the people that haven't opted in, so that it does become fair across the board, and so that those providers. In your mind, because you, you deal with all with uh, deal with so many parents and, and, and early childhood educators, are the ones that license uh, the 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 daycares themselves? Are they worried about just the added administrative burden, and they feel look, I'd rather just run this daycare out of my basement, out of my backyard, um, uh, with four or five kids, and I just want to deal with the bureaucracy. Your government is that partially why some of these people are just opting out? 
For sure. I think, you know, there's this feeling that, you know, having government oversight, looking at your books, looking at what you're doing might not fit well, well with them. And that's one of the issues. Um, And then we know that there's been additional paperwork, even with the people that started off in 2018. And I think government's heard and have listened and they've reduced that administrative burden but until we have a full fully integrated system um, we are often worried about the additional administrative burden when you know people when these programs have to continually apply for funding to to get this additional funding like when is this actually going to be a system that that happens yeah, I mean, the, the, when I was listening to the, uh, the the Prime Minister and, and the Premier today, it's great news on the surface, but it is uneven right now because there are parents still paying top dollar and others that have had uh-huh. great savings. It's an uneven nature of, of what we're seeing. And, and yes, the system is rolling out. Yeah. It's going to take time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it, it is also frustrating. Uh, and I think uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think all parents should have an mm-hmm. equal opportunity to put their kids in in a daycare and uh, be charged the same as much as possible. Because and look, it is changing lives. Like I was talking to one mom today, mm-hmm. it, it's saving their family twelve hundred dollars a month. You add that over a year, that's uh, you can pay for a decent birthday party, as she was saying. Maybe and right. enjoy a vacation with the family. Like it's, it is life altering. Mm-hmm. It really is, and I think that's fabulous. Yeah. But it is uneven right now, and that's I think quite uh, quite frustrating thing for all of us. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Emily. Oh, I was just going to say we absolutely hear those families and feel their frustrations, and and uh, you know I have a granddaughter too, fourteen months old, and her family just found out for December first that you know their childcare fees were going down five hundred and twenty-five dollars. How life-changing that is for them! They went and bought a new to them vehicle the other day because they can actually afford a payment now. Mm-hmm. Young family, and and I feel for those families that are stuck in this in this position and they really are stuck because we don't have enough um, spaces yet for, for fam for families to actually be able to choose maybe a different childcare program. Mm-hmm. But I've also known families that have chosen to move their children into programs that are aligned with this new system model so that, you know, their fees will be reduced. And, mm-hmm. and that's a reality. Like I said, it's 4% of the, of the owners and operators that have not opted in. And, I think government could do a little bit better job to be speaking with those people and how do they get them to come come in into the system. Yeah. Emily, always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for uh, making time for us today. Look forward to chatting with you in the months ahead because this story is not going away anytime soon. Thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Uh- Federal Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino today announced that the uh, government is preparing to consult the public on the possible creation of, of a foreign agent registry as a means of preventing outside interference in Canadian affairs. Now, liberal want to, liberals want to hear from experts and the broader public, including members of affected communities, on whether it should follow the lead of some of, the, of our key allies. Now, the government acknowledged that foreign governments and organizations routinely try to influence Canadian policies, officials, and democratic processes in clearly visible and legal ways. For instance, let's say uh, diplomats, uh, you know, uh, arguing for their country in, in various positions when it comes to trade. But some states, on the other hand, engage in interference to advance foreign political goals. As part of the, these efforts, they may employ people to act on their behalf without disclosing ties to the foreign state. Uh, the most obvious example in this country has been China. And many have said, look, we need a foreign 
Agent Registry. Now, joining me now to talk about the issue is Jeremy Nuttall. He's a Vancouver-based investigative journalist for the Toronto Star, who he has also uh, lived and worked in China uh, as well. Jeremy, thank you for joining us today. Always nice to be here. Well, let's uh, talk about You and I have touched on this already, the foreign, the foreign agent registry. Uh, it still seems the government still wants to consult with the broader public, and one would assume most people are at, let's get on with it. Well, what I'd like to know is, are they going to start consulting with the broader public on all national security issues now? Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a silly idea. I mean, I can understand why they would maybe want to talk to, to some communities and just say, look, we, we might want to do this, and we want to do it in a way that doesn't, um, you know, make your community out to seem like you're part of the problem. Do you have concerns? And listen to them, absolutely. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, how often do we get, I mean, does CSIS ever hold public consultations on things that it's doing and, and things like that? It just seems a bit odd to have a public consultation on a national security issue. You know, either national security is important enough to take action on it or it isn't. Mm-hmm. And even even a consultation with a broad public can be manipulated by the very people you want to talk about. Well, yeah, and I mean, that's definitely part of the issue, right? I mean, you're going to have... You're going to have people showing up, guaranteed, who are going to come to any kind of a forum or meeting and say that this thing is targeting, uh, you know, my community members unfairly, and it's going to, uh, you know, it's going to make uh, the the rest of the country think that we're, you know, involved with these shady foreign regimes, and they're they're going to fight really hard to prevent it from happening, which, um, uh, you know, it's it's cyclical, right? Well, that goes back to the national security concerns again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, the uh, our partners uh, already have a registry, do they not? In the UK, the UK and the US. Uh, sorry, sorry, the UK is looking at one. Australia and the United States both have them. Um, and uh, yeah, it's something that uh, you know I, I think is has been. You can't say it's been a failure. I mean, we haven't fully seen the effects of it in the states yet, but. Uh, I, I could imagine that you're, you're going to start seeing that in the next couple of years when when this stuff really starts to, to take an effect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we, there's already been talk about, uh, uh, so the Trudeau uh, government's already talking about talking to China and being very, very firm in regards to uh, allegations that police stations, uh, Chinese police stations are located in the Toronto area and some have been talked about here in Vancouver. Um, uh, there is a broader conversation, of course, um, last week about an Indo-Pacific strategy. Do you think we're finally hitting in the, heading in the right direction uh, or is this still sort of performative theater uh, when it comes to politics? Well, you know, one thing that was very interesting um, is... Buried in the Indo-Pacific deal is there's a part in there that says that we're going to continue to engage with China in ways that uh, benefit Canada, and it's still an important trading partner. So it's almost it's almost like they're putting all this stuff on the top, but below their actual approach to China, they're still going to try to keep doing the same thing. They're still going to try to you know send people over there to drum up business for for exports, uh, you know make make room for Canadian companies in China. Um, so you got to wonder, I mean, you know, when you're talking about principles and human rights, et cetera, but all you're really doing is, is safeguarding your own interests, but still not applying any of your country's values or principles uh, to your, your partner in this case, you do have to wonder how serious they are about making all this work. And if, if the direction truly has changed, uh, I think it could be argued both ways by now, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
a lot of the China experts I go to um, for regular things are are saying both things. Some are saying, I think it is, a, you know, I think we have turned a corner, and some are saying, no, this is just a sleight of hand. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I hate, I hate to say it, but time will tell. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when I was th- I'm thinking back to the two Michaels just being released. Even then, shortly after that, they were already talking about, um, uh, you know, doing business with China again, as you said. Even the ambassador at that time was talking about engaging with China on the on the business side. I mean, it's not like, uh, I mean, for me, when I, when I look at all of this, our political elites and our business elites have been, you know, just hitting the drum for literally three decades now that we're going to continue to business China, here's some trade deals, we're going to have trade missions, we're going to eventually change China, and the reality is one could argue that China has changed us. Well, this is, that's the other main thing here is that you've got, uh, you know, China is a very, it's, I mean, they assimilated communism, right? Yeah. I mean, basically China is, is run very much the way it was uh, in a lot of respects 100 years ago, right? It's, it's, we're 150 years ago. It's like another dynasty. It's a very hard uh, society for outsiders or foreigners to be able to change. And the idea that, uh, yeah, that, that we would ever go in there and just uh, throw around some Big Macs and uh, some Tim Hortons and they'd be clamoring for democracy over there was definitely naive. And I, I, I don't think they actually believed it. I think they just tried to sell that uh, to the public to, uh, to, to get support uh, back home for, for broadening business scope with them. And as you say, in that whole exchange, what has actually happened is uh, our leaders have started to compromise their values. Yeah. No, and, and, and when you just think about, um, forget about just the, the, the registry that we're talking about, the foreign agent registry, it's about how we allow Chinese companies to uh, be involved in our universities and technical research, uh, how we protect our uh, corporate interests. When I talk about corporate interests, I'm talking research and development, all of those types of things. I mean, if you really look at the issue, China pretty much has been free to do whatever it wants in this country for three decades now. And we're just yeah. starting to wake up to it. And even now, it's, it's, we're taking baby steps when other nations have, uh, are moving very quickly. Yeah, it's a very, uh, you know, it's something that, uh, an, an attitude I find comes from, uh, from back east. Um, this very like pragmatic Canadian, okay, well, we're just here for the business, keep your eyes down and, and, and cash the checks sort of attitude that Canadian international business has had for a very long time, um, and the government just goes along with that. Uh, whereas it just seems like, you know, in other parts of the world, uh, you know, other democracies, um, business and, and government are so not lockstep. Uh, aside from maybe Germany, who apparently is just a one big branch plant of VW, as far as China is concerned, but it's you know it's very uh, you know it's just very in lockstep here, government and business when it comes to international relations, and yeah, I think Canadians need to start questioning if that's the healthiest thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be very interesting uh, as to how they roll out this consultation with uh, interest groups and the public when it comes to. Uh, a potential foreign agent registry in this country. We'll keep an eye on it. Thank you so much for your time today, Jeremy. Thank you, Jazz.
When was the last time you thought about how much you pay for uh, Amazon Prime? Now, use Amazon ex- as an example. More than 200 people are Amazon Prime members. We're used to uh, not having to pay for shipping. And with Amazon Prime, many people, of course, get a subscription service, a streaming service with that as well. So Amazon has trained customers to expect free shipping as though it's their right. Well, one local business owner is tired of hearing from customers who feel entitled to free shipping without realizing the high cost that small businesses face to ship their products. Uh, Megan uh, Nakazawa owns bricks-and-mortar retail and online stores in the Fraser Valley. A recent Instagram post from her calls out customers who have been complaining about shipping costs, and it's gotten a huge response from other business owners from across Canada who are feeling the same shipping pains. Megan joins us now. Megan, thank you for speaking to us today. Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, absolutely. And, you know, this is a perfect time for us to have this conversation because we're all um, uh, shopping, a lot of us shopping online. Uh, First and foremost, uh, for our audience, uh, explain what kind of business you're involved in, what kind of retail outlet you have. So I own a store that only sells Canadian products, so everything is from brands from across Canada. So we try to give them a place that they can sell their products that maybe other stores wouldn't have given them the opportunity to. I see. And what kind of things, if I were to walk into one of your bricks and mortar stores, what would I see? Uh, Lots of gifty items. So bath and body products, some clothing, uh, coffee mugs, a lot of little sassy items we sell in the store. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Now, recently you posted um, something on Instagram uh, to talk about some of your own frustrations and, and some of the things that you're actually dealing with. Talk to me a little bit about that. So over the past couple months, uh, Canada Post has definitely increased their rates, and it seems to be that customers think that a lot of small businesses like mine are increasing our shipping rates to make money off of it, and that's not the case at all. Most businesses that are small, at least, that they don't charge you extra for shipping. We try to just cover our costs. Uh, but people aren't seeing it that way, and I think they just don't understand what goes in behind the scenes for shipping, and they expect it to be free because lots of companies like Amazon don't charge you for shipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, how often do you get requests for free? We get it quite often. We get emails saying, well, you just lost a customer because you're not offering free shipping, where we do offer free shipping when you spend a certain amount. How much is that? I'm curious. Uh, $150. $150. Now, big companies like uh, Nike also um, uh, charge a lot, uh, charge a hefty amount for shipping. Uh, They don't offer free shipping uh, either. Um, Do you think this is all sort of because of Amazon at the end of the day? Because if you have Amazon Prime with them, uh, they will provide you the the, the free shipping. Or if I think you you buy a certain amount, a very low number actually in the grand scheme of things, uh, it's free as well. Yeah, I think people just expect it because I feel like everyone has an Amazon account these days. I even have an Amazon account. So people just expect it to be free, but I don't think they see the behind the scenes of even Amazon because everything you're buying off Amazon, those vendors are also paying a hefty price to them just to be on there. So it's covering Amazon's free shipping for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, is, this a, is this a growing issue for small businesses um, uh, like yours? Yes. Or it is. Yeah, I've just seen people like leaving nasty comments on other businesses' posts saying how they're like charging extra for shipping just to make money and that they should be ashamed of themselves. And that's really why it made the post. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, w- what would happen if you just added the cost of shipping onto the price of the product that you're already advertising online? So for a lot of businesses, that will work. But because I only sell local uh, businesses' products, it doesn't work. Because if I'm selling the exactly same product for like $3 more, they're just going to go right to the brand, right? It works for people that are buying things from all over the place. But because you can just go to the brands directly within the lower mainland, they just wouldn't shop at my store then. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is this a big enough problem for you now where it could impact the viability of your business? I feel like we have enough really true supporters that it's not. It only seems to be new people that find us that seem to complain about this issue. And at the end of the day, I was just trying to like show the the numbers behind it so maybe people understood more why small businesses are charging for shipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, on, on, the, on the online versus bricks and mortar, uh, it's still the online business is still justified for you, even with the headache of shipping and handling and other challenges that come with it. It's still uh, a good business to be in. I think so, yeah. And we do lots of like local pickups, so that's the main reason for our website, so people can shop from home and then go into the store and just grab it quickly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and are other businesses of people that you know, retailers having the same sort of challenge where many customers are now just expecting free shipping? Yes, I've had it, heard it from lots of different people. Yeah. Uh, are, are most people, when you explain what you're explaining to me in regards to why you do it, are they un- do they understand? Do they, do, is there any I, uh, sympathy? Yeah, I do find that usually when you explain it to them, they understand. There's just so many people out there that just go straight to social media and they're just bashing people in the comments for charging certain things. And I just think they don't understand the math behind it. So they just have to maybe do a little more research, or that's why I put the post out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, did did you feel better at the end of it after you did that? <laughs> well, I feel like I got a, on our Instagram, we got a lot of good response from it. When it was posted elsewhere, people had their own opinions about me, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate your time today uh, to express some of the challenges uh, your small business um, is dealing with, like all small businesses do. So uh, you're on a big radio station here. Uh, why don't you plug your shop one more time so uh, folks know who you are and where you are and where they can look at your products. I am Megan from The Local Space, and we have a brick-and-mortar location in South Surrey, Chilliwack, and Langley, and we sell over 250 Canadian brands if you want to shop local this Christmas season. So, so the, the, the online store is the local space, is it .com? dot ca the local space dot ca well there you go thank you so much megan really appreciate your time thank you for having me one of the country's largest gas station operators is doubling its plan uh, to uh, install rapid charges for electric vehicles at its locations in western canada which is like many would argue a possible glimpse of a more convenient future for EV drivers nationwide. Now, Parkland operates uh, stations under brands such as Chevron, Esso, and Pioneer, and they announced today that they plan to install two and four charging ports at 50 of their locations, up from 25 announced last year, and most of those new chargers will be in BC, along with a couple of stations um, in Alberta. The chargers will be able to top up vehicle batteries in 20 to 30 minutes, uh, which is uh, wonderful, and I guess they're touting, the Parkland is touting the investment as almost tripling the number of rapid charging stations 
in the greater Vancouver area. Joining me now to talk a little bit about uh, EV chargers is Jeremy Cato, automotive, automotive journalist uh, behind the Cato Car Guy site.com. Hello, Jeremy. Hey, Jazz. How are you, sir? I'm getting all charged up about electric charging. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Gonna get a little juice. There you go. You get a little juice. Uh, how significant is this? Uh, barely. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, th- this is just another um, a- another leg on the, the you know, the, no, this is another piece in the puzzle. Let's put it that way. I'm searching for a metaphor there. A, a piece in the puzzle, but... The, the reality here is is that the uh, the federal government's throwing five million bucks and the BC government's throwing about just under two million dollars at this company to convert fifty charging stations or create fifty charging stations. Um, it, it's it's a little vague. I, I, I looked into this today. It's a, a little vague exactly what kind of charging stations we're talking about. Are we talking a fifty volt? Are we talking three hundred and fifty? Are we talking? You know, the super fast charging stations like the best that Tesla offers or some that Electrify Canada offers. Are we just t- talking about the the uh, the basic fast chargers that BC Hydro um, has dotted around the province? So it's a little vague at this point, but, you know, it's a step in the right direction. I guess the I'm just trying to think, you know, obviously why they're doing this. The, um, it says the chargers are able to top up vehicle batteries in 20 to 30 Minutes, uh, but that doesn't say you know what kind of juice you're talking about here. But I guess a par- uh, Parkland uh, sells basically makes their money through on-site food and retail businesses. So while you're waiting, potentially you could go in and and, and grab a, a bag of chips or whatever else they sell at these convenience stores. I guess that's one of the ways I guess um, they feel with their convenience stores and perhaps at restaurants they can make uh, more money off of you at the end of the day. Yeah, there, there's a number of, of different suppliers and even manufacturers like Volvo, for example, which is one of the manufacturers that plans to be all electric uh, within three to seven years, depending on uh, how you measure all electric. Um, and the idea is to create you know, places where people can shop, they can uh, uh, pause for a moment and have a coffee or read a book, check their email without you know, driving off the road, all those kinds of things. Uh, so. That, that's been kind of the uh, approach that a lot of different suppliers, and including automakers, have, have been looking at. Uh, it seems to me that it's kind of aimed more at a European kind of uh, driver. I mean, in Europe, when, when I go to the United, go to England to visit my relatives, and I, I walk out to the car if we're doing a little road trip with a with a with a uh, travel mug in my hand, they all look at me like I've landed from Mars. I mean, in, in Europe and in, in the UK. Uh, people actually stop and have a coffee, and then they keep driving, which is totally different than what we do in North America. But there is this movement uh, among some suppliers, including it looks like uh, uh, this latest announcement, uh, you know, to get people out of there, take 20 minutes, have a coffee, check your email, uh, take a break, and uh, let your vehicle charge up. And that's as much out of necessity because even the best, fast charging systems are going to be 18 minutes to get you from say 20% to 80%. And those are really super fast charging um, outlets. And they did mention in, uh, in one article that they're focusing on garage orphans or city residents who live in apartments or houses that lack outlets so they can charge their vehicles. 
I guess at this station. I guess longer term, you know, if if you're if you really want people to convert, the cost of converting or putting in an, e, an EV charging station at your home or condo sites is is really the place to go, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, if you have a if you have a home in a, uh, with a, with a garage or at least a carport. Um, you can get yourself a very, very functional 240-volt uh, level 2 charger for under a grand now. Oh, wow. And, you know, there's some subsidies out there as well. So that, that's not a big problem. The, the bigger problem is that while we do have a lot of construction happening in greater Vancouver, most of the buildings are older and need to be retrofitted with with the right wiring and with the right outlets, and that's a very expensive process. The The province will provide certain subsidies of up to more than a hundred thousand dollars i think 103 was the last time i checked Mm -hmm. and that was in the summer Um, but you have to meet a lot of standards and part of that is including wiring the entire parking uh, layout of any building so if it's a 40 year old building you've got a you you don't need to put a charging dock in every uh, stall but you need to wire the building to get the full effect of the uh, of the incentive so uh, you know we are we are moving along at a snail's pace, despite what both the provincial government here in British Columbia and what um, the liberals in Ottawa have been talking about, which is being all EV by the end of the decade, which is almost nonsensical. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen because the, the, the government doesn't have enough, enough carrots um, to throw out there to get people to make the shift. And the biggest one of all is, you know, EVs, you're still looking at, uh, you know, 40 grand. Um, minus a few subsidies, depending on what province you live in. But the biggest province doesn't even offer EV subsidies. The, the federal ones are there, but Ontario, the province, doesn't even offer subsidies for EV buyers. So essentially, nobody buys an EV in Ontario. Hmm. That's very interesting. I, I know in, yeah. in in one of the articles even here um, regarding this story, they say they want to basically build a network from Vancouver Island all the way to Calgary because it is an Alberta-based company, and with charges to be at, at, at intervals to 100 to 150 kilometers. Um, uh, with the new vehicles coming, what's the range now with electric vehicles? Oh, easily. Uh, if you're not buying an EV with a range of 400, 500 kilometers, you, you've got the wrong EV. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, lots of them, Kias, Hyundais, BMWs, Volvos, I mean, you name it, if, if you're buying a full battery on electric vehicle that has fewer than 500 kilometers of posted range, now on a day like today where it's cold and snowy and everybody's got the heaters going and the seat heaters and the steering wheel heaters and the, you know, the defrosters and headlights, and I mean, that's going to really seriously cut into your range. But on a perfect day, um, you know, where you're not using the air conditioning too much and say in the summertime and you're on a nice long road trip where the roads are flat, um, if, you know, you should be able to easily squeeze out 480 to 520 kilometers in any competitive EV that's out there in the marketplace. Uh, so the range is not so much a big deal anymore. Charging is still a big deal because, you know, the fast chargers are all over the map. Some can charge your car up in 18 minutes if you've got the right car, let's say, uh, you know, uh, that can take the highest level level three charger. Um, but others, you know, like a 50 volt charger, which is the one that's right across the street from one of my, you know, I have a couple of rental apartments in old buildings. None mm-hmm. of them have charging docks. Uh, but there, there's a 50, uh, there's a 50 out there. That's a BC hydro. But for me to charge up, um, you know, using that, if it, I'm down to say 25%, I'm looking at almost an hour to charge up 
uh, your typical, I'll say, a, a Volvo XC40 EV. Hmm. So it's all over the map. And, and I think this is also confusing for, con, uh, for consumers is how long does it really take for me to charge my vehicle? And the answer is it could be anywhere from, uh, if you've got a, a, a good range vehicle, anywhere from 18 minutes to an hour. That's a pretty big window. Yeah, that's huge. That absolutely. We're, yeah. we're, we're getting there, but there's a lot more to do in regards to EV infrastructure. That's for sure. Jeremy, thank you for your time today. Hey, my pleasure. And if I don't talk to you before um, the Christmas and New Year's and uh, Hanukkah and all the rest, uh, happy holidays. Let's get back to news uh, of the day. Well, the Medical Service Commission just yesterday applied for an injunction to stop TELUS Life Plus a program from charging membership fees uh, to patients in return for preferential 24-7 access to a healthcare practitioner. Now, in February, BC Health Minister Adrian Dix asked the commission, which oversees the medical service plan, to review private fee-based services offered by TELUS Healthcare Centres to ensure there's no queue jumping for patients who pay the fee, which isn't allowed under the Canada Health Act. Joining me now to talk about uh, the Medical Service Commission's uh, actions yesterday is Adrian Dix, BC's Minister of Health. Hello, Minister. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for your time. I know it's a busy time of the year for you. Appreciate you making time uh, for our show. Uh, what prompted Minister for you to make the original request to medical the Medical Service Commission in regards to this particular issue? Well, uh, it, because of concerns certainly raised with me and concerns I by members of the public about being asked to pay fees, in some cases uh, by people who had a family doctor who went to work for TELUS Life Plus and then would have to pay fees to maintain their family doctor. Uh, And so I raised those issues with the Medical Services uh, Commission. We're a a province of laws, and they apply the laws. They apply the Medicare Protection Act. And yesterday the commission um, decided to act and seek an injunction um, before the B.C. Supreme Court against the TELUS Life Plus program. It should be noted that the vast majority of work that TELUS does in healthcare is not TELUS Life Plus. It's a relatively small program but it's a, that they have at, uh, at TELUS. Nonetheless, um, the, uh, the uh, matter was brought forward, investigated, and this was the action taken. Are there many people uh, involved in this, uh, specifically when, when talking about uh, patients, or are we just talking about a small handful? Well, we're ta- we we don't I don't know exactly how many people only TELUS could reply to that have paid the fee. What I can, uh, although there are significant, you know, exchanges of information between the commission and TELUS that have been going on for some months. Uh, what I would say is that the largest group of customers who people who get service uh, from TELUS do so within the public health care system in other TELUS programs. This is one program that they have. Nonetheless, the commission determined that what TELUS is doing was in violation of the Medicare Protection Act, and they're taking appropriate action to protect the public. Is there anything wrong in regards to what TELUS Life is doing? As you said, this injunction solely relates to TELUS Life uh, Plus program and the membership fees charged under that program, alleged membership fees, and doesn't touch on TELUS Health's um, other, uh, uh, I guess, role it plays in delivering virtual health care services, which you've said. Is there something wrong and what i mean and it's a philosophical question then as a public system as a minister that we are still relying on a private corporation a large one to be playing a role in our healthcare system well says you've got to make the distinction i mean in primary care historically since really tommy douglas and others started medicare in canada 
Primary care has been provided by doctors in community, which are frequently uh, corporations, right? They, so they've been paid for by fee-for-service. In fact, one of the issues young doctors have with the current primary care system and why we worked with the doctors of BC to change it is for that very reason. They want to practice medicine and they don't want to become effectively business owners who are paid for by, of course, the public insurance plan, but nonetheless have to operate businesses. They want to practice medicine. And so this is, uh, so the, to, to a great extent, most of the doctors we have in BC are working for a private health corporation in primary care, whatever it may be called, and, uh, uh, but are uh, paid for by the public system. What are the matter, the issue here is not the ownership question. The issue here are the fees being paid and whether those fees are inconsistent with the Medicare Protection Act. And there has been um, numerous uh, exchanges of information uh, and requests for information from the Medical Services Commission to tell us dating back to February. And they've drawn this conclusion. And they're now taking action. Uh, as, as you'll remember, a number of people came forward with information that they had a family doctor, and that family doctor was moving to Palace Life Plus, and that family doctor was happy to continue to provide service if they paid more. I mean the service, the basic service that's mm-hmm. provided through the Medicare system if they paid and joined the broader program, the Telus Life Plus program. Mm-hmm. This was the subject, uh, part of the subject of uh, the, um, uh, in the in the review by uh, the Medical Services Commission, and they're simply doing their job. And you can see that if people want to see the filings, they can see the exchanges and the information between the commission and TELUS. The commission, I should say, is independent. So when I intervene, it's to improve and uh, strengthen the law, which uh, I did and the government did in 2018. But it's the commission's job to um, to enforce that law. Um, now, the TELUS Life Plus package, it costs, about, I think, $4,600 in the first year and 3600 for subsequent years. It's not the only company. There are many smaller companies that offer sort of a monthly subscription where you'll have access to uh, clinicians and assistance with urgent needs, uh, testing that they can do and uh, sort of uh, tell you or educate you about what potential ailments you may have in the future. It's, uh, the Mayo Clinic in the U.S. does it, and they charge a lot of money. There's nothing philosophically wrong with having those types of services available in this province if the private citizen feels uh, feels they need to pay for that service outside of the public system? Well, remember two things about this. One is that, um, that there are some doctors, I think eight in B.C., mm-hmm. so that's how many, who have uh, withdrawn from Medicare, and they can provide that, and they do that. There's about eight doctors, I think, really dating back decades in B.C. who have chosen to go that route. So one can do that. Realistically, you want to practice um, medicine. You're in the public health care system in uh, in British Columbia. And the issue is that the um, care for medically necessary services is not free in the sense that we all pay for it in taxes. Sometimes people use that term, you know, kind of loosely. Mm. It's not free, but it, it, there's no cost to getting the service, right, for medically necessary care. And, and uh, that's an important matter for people, I think, and an important part of the efficiency of our public health care system as well. There are, fewer cons- there are fewer transaction costs, and we have a much more efficient administrative system than they do in the United States. That's why they pay so much more for less health care. One of the reasons why they pay for so much more for less health care there. So I'm a strong supporter of public health care, that idea that it shouldn't be extra billing for medically necessary services. And, and the commission uh, reviewed the evidence in this case and has um, uh, taken the appropriate action that they feel 
based on the, all of the information they've received and the evidence they've collected uh, to pursue the injunction and uh, against TELUS. And any sense right now, and you know, you you you've made that um, uh, an initial submission there. It's it, this is with the uh, commission and the courts as well. Any sense of how long this will take? Any sense that you have? Well, there's there's a process to, um, where the, it, it's filed, and Telus has the the right to respond. These are decisions by judges, and yeah. why. You may, you may think usually I'm fairly blunt in our exchanges, <laughs> and, uh, I would say, on lots of issues. But here, um, the case has been presented by the Independent Commission. Um, and, yes, I made the request for them to review it. They've made their case, and they've reviewed the evidence, and there's been um, substantial exchanges with TELUS. I think the suggestion was they hadn't been talking to TELUS. Uh, the filings show how many times there were back-and-forth exchanges between the Commission and TELUS. The commission's job is to ensure that the law is applied. And so TELUS, I think, has a period to respond to that. Then the matter will be set before a judge. And, of course, the judges make the decision. That's why, you know, we we respect that process very much. And we're going to allow that process to play out. Well, Minister, we look forward to following this story uh, because I think it's a very interesting one. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And if I do not uh, speak to you uh, for the rest of this month, I just want to miss, uh, wish you and your family and all your colleagues a Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for your time today. Hey, Merry Christmas to you and to your family. And everyone be safe in the snow today and get vaccinated. Get your flu shot. <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much, uh, Minister. Take care. We've uh, had another week of opinions, experts, open line, wisdom, and hot takes. It's that time to bring together our dynamic duo to help explain the week that was. It's time for The Wrap. Goodbye now. It's over. That's all. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap. It's Friday, and this is The Wrap on the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Thank God it's All right, this week we look at snow in Vancouver in November in a G7 country. Why do we suck? And if you're stuck in an eight-hour commute home, what celebrity would you want to carpool with? Joining me this week is our regular rap panel. We have Leah Halive. She's a TV reporter and radio host. And also Sarah Daniels, a real estate agent in South Surrey. She's an author and broadcaster as well. Leah, Sarah, welguh Hi, guys. Hi. Well, lots to talk about. Many BC residents on Tuesday evening saw nothing but chaos on Metro Vancouver roads and highways as snow fell across the uh, region. Cars and buses were involved in crashes as tires failed to grip icy roadways. Residents reported it took them hours to get home um, through the mess. Some people were stuck trying to get home for upwards of 12 hours due to the congestion and weather conditions. Here's some sounds and opinions from Tuesday night. Tonight, in the Vancouver, B.C. area, the only Canadian city that never prepares for snow or has any idea what to do when snow comes. Classic Vancouver loses its mind when snow hits. I've been stuck on the highway for almost, actually more than seven hours from Richmond to Surrey. And they said that on Alex Fraser, there are a couple of buses and semi that spun out. I totally get that. But seriously, seven hours, you still can't fix it. That's insane. I left my work at four and it's 11.35. Is this a lane? I'm pretty sure it is because I drive this road all the time. That guy's driving with any lights on. Because here we go in BC. This is what we do. One in the morning. This is what you get. <laughs> 
Oh my God! And, and Jill Bennett show was uh, spent about ninety minutes on on what transpired on on uh, Tuesday night. So Leah, let me start with you first and foremost. Why are we so bad at this? Oh, you know, I I think this time, Jazz, I mean, that was unprecedented. We've never seen that. I think it was like the perfect storm. I think it was people without snow tires. I think the cities didn't jump on the salt and clear the snow fast enough. There were jackknife semis blocking roads. They weren't chained up. Tow trucks were blocked by all the traffic. People left early because they were warned. So I think it was just like a cluster of things just happening at the same time. And that's what made it like that. I hope to God we never see that again because that was disastrous disastrous like everybody around the world is laughing at us right now. <laughs> that's right sarah your thoughts well you didn't you didn't get stuck in that did you no and and leah said cluster but she forgot the word that goes up yeah i'll leave that to your imagination yeah. i i actually was you know it was funny i i'm, I'm a realtor obviously i live in south surrey i had a five o'clock appointment that afternoon mm-hmm. the buyer agent canceled and it was snowing quite heavily down here and i thought okay well that's good because you know apparently they were coming from ladner I, you know, both Lee and I have been traffic reporters. I was a traffic reporter for like <laughs> yeah. all of the 90s to 2005 working for CKNW as well as Global. I got, you know, I mean, I had to like come in and in during snowstorms to go to Global, you know, do, do the morning news. And I mean, there were some mornings when, yes, when the snow was falling and everything. And, it would, and I would leave the studio right after the show was over at nine o'clock and I wouldn't get home till about 11. Nine mm. or ten hours is obscene. There is salt trucks. There are there are like all sorts of de-icing mechanisms. Those bridges should have been taken care of long before they started sending trucks out. And that's mm-hmm. not the truck, the driver's problems or anything like that. That's management between the, the municipalities and Main Road. I mean, literally, there were Jazz and I were talking to you just the other day about this um, regarding in a different in a different conversation. But there are there are single parents that have children in daycare or have to pick kids up after school. I mean, yeah. what would happen to those those families? You've got people like that are running out of gas in their car. They're cold. There's no food. They have to use the washroom. There's nobody. It's obscene. And then yesterday on the news or the day before on the news when they were coming forward and saying, well, we're going to look back at our, what happened and see how we can do better. <laughs> I mean, actually doing nothing would actually be better at this point. If you can't figure out a way to do better, you need to go away entirely. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's sort of like you, you, you've got the provincial government that does the highways, mm-hmm. but then you've got respective municipalities. But, you know, there's no czar in the in the in the Nobody's lower working mayor. together. But no here. one's in yeah. charge. Like, you got 21 mayors, so you dilute responsibility, and then you kind of got a minister who hasn't been around, and you got some deputy beer minister, a bureaucrat that we don't know who uh, who she is at all, and she says, well, you know, it was people People left too early. Well, it's rush hour. That's what happens and people go mm-hmm. home. So there's like no accountability. We're all just sort of pointing in different directions and it should not have happened. I get the winter tire thing. Uh, I, I get the fact uh, that... Uh, End of day, we had like, what, eight centimeters of snow? We were warned about 20. it. I think it was it, 20. We had four or five days of notice and we had eight centimeters yeah. of snow. For those it, people that are old school, that's like basically three yeah. and a half inches of snow. Yeah. I mean, Give we were me warned. That's the kicker. We were warned. Yeah. Like, we this knew was not this a was surprise. coming. The cities knew it was no. coming. The government knew it was coming. This is not a surprise. Coming. Now, imagine, yeah, exactly. imagine if we had an earthquake uh, and it took out a bridge oh, or a tunnel. God. Took them out. And, yeah, and, yeah and I think it was 20 centimeters no. actually on Tuesday. And it was 20 centimeters, which is still not a lot. It's nothing if you compare no, that to what you've seen in Alberta, Ontario. It's nothing. Now, if right. we had an yeah. earthquake or another atmospheric river hitting Good us, or luck. God forbid a, a dike goes uh, in Ladner or in South Surrey, wherever it may be, 
It, it, I mean, <laughs> we are we're not, the walking dead. That's we what's should happened. not the feel safe. Dead. I don't care what, there it, what were, we should not feel safe. There were people that, you know, and I live in Surrey, there were people that were that were basically stranded at 152 and 64th that had to get down to South Surrey. And they walked along that stretch of 152, which is in which is through the agricultural land reserve. There are no sidewalks through the dark. No. Walked back up the hill into South Surrey. People walked for like four or five hours to get home. Oh, yeah. I had a friend that that was 25 kilometers from home from work and it took him almost 13 hours 25 kilometers yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 20, he walked 25 kilometers right no he, he no 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 he, he had, that's how far he was from from oh. his home he was in his car but it took him almost 13 hours for 25 13 kilometers. hours that is a ridiculous. Yeah. and that's the thing is that you know you have, like it's never happened like this before no. i mean i'm actually surprised that it wasn't worse with the amount of people that would have been running out of gas I mean, and, yeah. and literally people, you know, have, you know, anxiety freaking out. I mean, good Lord. I, it's, it's amazing. What about people that, with medications? If they had to get it, home to take their medications, you know? Exactly. Like, so I, much. I'm actually surprised that we didn't hear about fist fights and actual brawls because yeah. uh, I, didn't, I didn't see that. I, which is nice, I guess. That's the silver lining. But there were people still, like I had a friend whose wife was coming in from Ontario. And so she took the, the sky train to River Rock trying to get a room even just to crash and they live in Ladner so they're not even far away from home they couldn't find a hotel in Richmond because they're all full hey welcome back to the show if you're just joining us uh, we are speaking to Leah Alive and uh, Sarah Daniels they're part of our rap panel we're talking about uh, that horrendous weather that we had on Tuesday night I actually just checked uh, Google Maps right now it tells me I can be home in 45 minutes that was a different (laughs) story on Tuesday night I I was being thought I'd be smart and have dinner here downtown I left about 8 o'clock and I I pulled into my uh, driveway at 4 a.m. so you know listen listen to a lot of Christmas carols started texting friends from different parts of the world I was it was pretty bad. At one point, a buddy of mine in Dubai sent me a picture of the Burj Khalifa. He was at the Dubai Ball, Dubai Ball. So I'm just looking at this beautiful infrastructure and going, we're supposed to be the first world country. But eight hours uh, in a vehicle. So the question oh. to our rap panel, let's start with Leah first. If you were stuck in an eight-hour uh, snowmageddon commute from hell, what celebrity would you want to carpool with? Okay, I have two, and they're both comedians. Speaking oh. so if I'm stuck in traffic, I want to laugh, and I want <laughs> someone to make me laugh. That's what I want. I would pick, I don't know if you guys know him, but he's hilarious. His name is Sebastian Maniscalco. He is so funny. He has these specials, what's wrong with people, why would you do that? So he'd be perfect for this situation, picking on everybody and what everybody's doing. Is that or on Joe Coy. Oh, Joe Coy. Yeah, he's on Netflix. Okay. Oh, yeah, he's on Netflix. Check him. If you haven't seen him. Check him out. He has a bunch. What would you do? And why would you do that? What's wrong with people? They're all his specials. It's, it's awesome. You'll laugh your butt off like the whole night. So good. So I would love to have him beside me. And Joe Because I think I need to drink. And Joe Coy is, as you said, another comedian. He's a Filipino. Yes. He's got some great stories of. Uh, He's great. Uh, with, with his family. And uh, and wasn't he dating Chelsea Handler at one? Uh, not yeah, too long ago? they broke up, unfortunately. Those guys yeah, are funny together. Time. Oh, my God. Right? They're so funny. They are. I know too bad. Maybe they'll get back together. Or somebody that carries snacks with them. Like, what celebrity has a lot of snacks in their bag? <laughs> That's who I want to come with me. Right? All, right. All right, Sarah. <laughs> what celebrity or celebrities would you want to invite along uh, you know, for the eight-hour commute back to South Surrey? <laughs> I, I mean, if we were being honest, I wouldn't want anybody in the car because, like, about an hour in, I'd be punching. Like, I'd be like, <laughs> shut up. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear your dumb stories. 
they're up, walking. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, that would be because, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of naturally aggressive. So, but, yeah. you know, I, I would maybe, you know what, something like I would want to learn something. I would like maybe Obama. I mean, that would be, I would love it, Barack Obama to, to learn all about like what he went through as president and like, you know, seeing it from the, from the eyes of somebody who's got a completely different background at and experience 12 a.m. me. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I like that. You but, like, that? but like literally, I, I have to, because the, I think the conversation would be really interesting and it would keep me busy. Yeah. And because of that, I wouldn't want to punch anybody because otherwise like, I, I like really don't want to be in, I don't want to be in the car with anybody for eight hours I just a couple of years back I drove across country with my now ex-boyfriend still great friend of mine nice guy but you know five days in a car I'm like if you change the radio station one more time I'm literally going to like slam the brakes on so you could you imagine Sarah Sarah going through the tunnel with Barack going, no so tell me about the Oslo Accords what are your thoughts exactly. I, I love that kind of stuff. I love and she's honking at the guy I'd be in front all of her. Over. I'd be all over that. But like some guy going like, but I'm bum and telling me jokes. I'm like, you are a dead man. Shut up. <laughs> like that what about you jazz who would you pick uh, actually yeah. you know I, I i think both of you guys um uh actually have hit the nail on that like there's there's a there's a candidate like you know i love politics and i follow international news so the barack one barack obama was actually interesting but i yeah. probably end up talking basketball with him i would probably have like a professional athlete like a basketball player uh like a michael jordan or i could talk if, with if, obama if you, like had Kyrie Irving, if you had no, Kyrie irving if you had Kyrie irving i would beat you to death i would oh, just God. walk i would just park the car and start walking back to Tawasa. Yeah, I just, no, 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 no Kyrie. I'll walk 20 hours home. Oh, my <laughs> God. Next time we'll do Who Wouldn't You Want in Your Car. I'd yeah. start with Kanye. Kanye right about now. Kanye, Kanye. Trump, and oh, Elon Musk yeah. all in the car. Oh, my God. Well, ladies, yeah, oh, my God. Could you? Holy cow. I would just I would Oh, no. Oh, it would be... But this is why people drink, you know. I mean, well, see, imagine the three of us stuck in the car for eight hours together. Exactly, we'd be like, topics. let's just tape this so we can run this on every Friday yeah. for the next year. No, I, I would, yeah, I wouldn't show up to the work the next day. Just tape us and just send it in. Sh- shift is done. Leah, Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. You, you guys, guys too. All right. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.